Welcome to the conference room with me, Simon Lader, and today's guest, Ohad Mandelbaum. That person needs to feel comfortable in ever-growing pressure of targets, of needs, and the ability to scale their own abilities over time, to learn, to adapt, to change, which is a key component right, over time. Welcome to The Conference Room, a weekly podcast where business leaders and growth experts kindly share their experiences, actionable tips, and secrets to successfully grow a business. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It'll really help us out. And I really hope you enjoy this week's episode. I'm Simon Lader. Welcome to The Conference Room. Good afternoon and welcome to the conference room. I'm joined by Ohad Mandelbaum. He's the chief revenue officer of cybersecurity software vendor Perimeter 81. He's a biotechnology engineering graduate from Ben-Gurion University and received his international executive MBA from the Kellogg School of Management. He spent the last 16 years building technology companies in areas such as medical diagnostics, laser treatments, neurostimulation, and for the last three and a half years, leading sales and revenue operations for cyber vendor Perimeter 81. He's worked across North America, Latin America, Africa, Europe, and the Middle East, and has overseen double and triple digit growth for high growth startups, ranging from a million to over a hundred million in revenue. And I'm delighted that I just found time in his extremely busy schedule to join us here in the conference room. So, oh, I'm Mandelbaum. Good afternoon and welcome to the conference room. Good afternoon, Simon. It's a pleasure to be here with you to talk about hyper-growth, startups, creating an impact and disruptions in many different segments. I'm delighted to share some of the experiences and looking forward for any questions may arise. Great stuff. Fantastic. So my first question is this. All heroes have an origin story and you are the hero of our story. So tell me, how did a graduate from Ben-Gurion University become, over a period of time, a startup high-growth specialist? That's a brilliant question. And there are many beginnings to this story, but I would start by talking a little bit about my upbringing in Israel. My father served in the Air Force for many, many years, and we're able to move from different locations around the world. That experience actually brought up in me the feeling of wanting to explore different parts of the world, which I was always attracted to. And I started traveling around the world from a very young age, following my undergrad, as you mentioned, in engineering, a little bit of computer science and math. I started to work for Israeli tech companies to be able to explain the proposition in different parts of the world. And I really, really loved it. First, it was Latin America, then later on Europe and Africa, as you alluded in the intro. And I realized that what makes us unique, right? And by saying us, I meant Israeli startups at that point of my career, was the ability to actually grow globally and take what the late president of Israel, Mr. Shimon Peres, used to say, the main assets that Israelis have, which is the brain power and proper propagated around the world. That's where it started originally. I started after my undergrad to work for a company named Ultrashape, selling medical devices across the world. And around 2008, I got an opportunity to join a company that was fast growing at that time named Alma Lasers and to grow that business up to an exit, which we sold it to a company named Fuson Pharma with 70 different distributors and more than 100 million in revenue. And that experience actually just enhanced the ability to actually continue and focus on the impact that one can make with the technologies being created. In my case, in the case of the companies I used to work for, Israeli companies. 
later on, I went to study in Chicago at Kellogg, as you mentioned. Through the work with Alma, I was able to study both in a joint program of the Tel Aviv University and Kellogg Northwestern. And Alma itself had a subsidiary in Chicago. So I moved from Israel to Chicago, my relocation more than a decade ago, to manage the business operation of Alma in North America. That experience, that executive MBA experience and the relocation to Chicago opened the horizon to understand much better the U.S. market, the U.S. needs. And as I said earlier, we were able to sell the company for $241 million to a Chinese private equity named Fusun Pharma. I had a successful exit. Later on, I started to get a lot of offers by different board members to join companies and help them to build their go-to-market, especially in the U.S., but also globally, and to help take that brilliance that is manufactured mainly in Israel, right? But obviously, brilliance doesn't only go to one country, but in my case, Israeli R&D, and then propagate that message or that tech that is being created in Israel all across the world and build a go-to market, mainly in the US, but also globally as well. I moved to manage the global sales of a company named Brainsway that later on went public here in the NASDAQ as well. And four years ago, I met the founders of Permit 81, Mr. Amit Bareket and Mr. Sagigi Dali, to be able to help them being first-time CEOs to build a business, to build the perfect go-to market and to be the first person in this entity to create this unparalleled growth that we, at that time, mainly hoped that we build a plan to be able to create a radically simple and secure network as a service for the modern workforce. That was the end of 2018. The company was much younger then. Our dreams were bigger, very big, but we're able to even exceed those dreams in the last four years, growing the company more than 100x, both in ARR, number of customers, and so on and so forth, which I'm very happy to share some of the details of how we've done that. But in general, this is one of the stories, or one of the angles that I can share today. Great. Fantastic. It's interesting you talk about go-to-market. And what occurs to me is that I think we both can list a list like this long of the amount of great products that fail in the market, right? And when it comes to a company's success, obviously, you need to have something that, you know, a product that's going to satisfy market need. But fundamentally, the go-to-market strategy, one could argue, is at least as important, maybe even more important than the quality of the product. So from your perspective, what are the hallmarks that a startup needs to either have from the get-go or develop very early in order to have a robust go-to-market strategy? It's a brilliant question. And there are many angles to be able to answer that. I would start with one and probably go to others soon as well. Go-to-market for many companies should be perceived as an additional product that they have. Meaning if companies will be able to address their go-to-market as another product in the suite of products that they're offering to the market and will religiously focus in actually executing improvements, innovation, building different avenues in their go-to-market, whether it's inbound, outbound, ABM, channel, direct, understand the perfect product market fit, analyze it correctly, and then execute, they will have a chance to be successful. Now, you mentioned the hallmarks of a very successful go-to-market. The reason or the answer that I will give right now, hopefully, will not be the only answer. There are many different parameters to be able to actually make it the perfect or to make a perfect go-to-market. From my standpoint, it depends on the stage of the company itself. So when I enter a company that is a 
pre-Series A company that need to be able to find a way to build the perfect MVP, to start to get the first clients, to build this initial feedback loop to prove the concept of the company, then the one most important characteristics that you're looking for the employees or for yourself is that tenacity, that jack of all trade, that innovation spirit, entrepreneurial spirit from every one of your managers or your employees to be able to execute and find the solution and get in the window when the door is closed or jump over the wall if both of them are closed as well. And the ability to find that and actually understand that you need to first execute and answer or ask questions after is key. As the company progress from series A to B and onwards, you need to build a scalable, repeatable business all the time. Now, one of the best metaphors that we can think of coming from Israel and serving myself in the Air Force is like flying an F-16 and having the ability or the capacity of both being the person who flies it and actually see all the KPIs and all the dashboards and all the specific details, but also have another eye to look and understand the global surrounding as the company continues to grow, both from the get-go to be able to build the foundation, the infrastructure that makes the company successful, as well as the execution is the key to build a successful go-to-market as the company progresses over time. Now, the one thing that I can add is the ability to have the zealotness. The one thing I can add for sure is that in any stage you may be, you have to be able to be almost like a zealot in your ability to actually improve. Always improve different processes, improve the KPIs, improve the close one rate, improve the number of leads if you're doing an inbound marketing, improve the sequencing, improve the personalization, improve your ability to actually think holistically about the customer journey over time, right? With the revenue bow tie, and I can elaborate on that if you wish, but improve each one of those segments and those linear improvements eventually are being compounded to create this hyper growth. One of the things that startups need to do, and it's a known secret, but it's hard to actually perform, is the ability to actually create what's called a triple digit growth. It can be 500% or 900%. The basis of it all has three pillars, right? Has the need to have a perfect product market fit, right? The ability to have a team that is able to have the variety of abilities to execute in many different dimensions. But it also needs to have that underlying factor of always trying to improve 1% better every day, 10% better every month. And that improvement requires you to be able to manage as a CRO or as a CEO or any other management position that there is in the company to manage and mitigate change over time. And that change is true for the individual or uh, Johnny, the salesperson or Yossi, the salesperson. And it's true for the director of the department that needs to be able to create the process. And it's obviously true for any C-level. Your ability to manage that scale over time and have that experience and common sense to know when to prioritize, when to focus your maximum impact on the information, on the variables that will create change versus when to just allow mistakes to happen in order to learn the lessons. This is key in go-to markets and it's key for startups that are in a hyper growth stage. Obviously, as the company grows public, as the company grows to become more mature then other values, other responsibilities, other guardrails, other proficiencies become more and more important. So you have worked for 
and been part of the leadership of a few companies in different markets. We talked about lasers, we talked about you know, neuroscience, medical devices, right? We talked about three or four different things and now cybersecurity, okay? So it's all high tech, right? But obviously aimed at different markets with different products and different challenges and different market needs. What thematic common denominators have you seen where there's been great go-to-market through the companies that you've worked for that you have perhaps taken from your past and embedded into the DNA of Perimeter 81? Brilliant question, Simon. It starts with innovation. It starts with the brilliant founders. In Perimeter 81 case, Amit Bareket and Sagi Gidali. Both of them are tech geniuses coming from product and R&D, respectively. And they're able to create a product that would make an impact. The same applies for previous company, Alma's later CEO, Dr. Ziv Karni, also was a PhD coming in from with a lot of knowledge about laser or medical devices. And all of them, all of the brilliant founders I used to work with, were amazing in understanding their strength, but also understanding that they need another persona and another room or person in the room to be able to actually provide the business aspect. All the brilliant entrepreneurs that I've spoken of all understood that they need another person, another executive to be able to lead the business side, which they either started to learn or knew that there are other people that may have in that dimension a little bit more experience to actually take that to another level. Now, as it pertains to building teams, which is the core of building an environment of excellence, one of the most important dimensions that I've learned as early on in my career is that the first 50 people that you choose for an organization, assuming you're starting that organization, will set the tone for the rest of the growth of the company themselves. And because of that, I decided very early on when I joined companies in the beginning of their lifetime that I will interview myself, right? Each and every one of those employees, whatever their position may be, because it's very important to be able to retain a DNA of hypergrowth. The DNA of hypergrowth means that on the individual level, that person needs to feel comfortable in absorbing change. That person needs to feel comfortable in ever-growing pressure of targets, of needs, and the ability to scale their own abilities over time, to learn, to adapt, to change, which is a key component right, over time. I was just going to ask. It's interesting. I was actually talking to a friend of mine earlier today, and we were both lamenting about something that's been in the news relatively recently, the quiet quitting, where it's like people with like deciding they're just going to do exactly what's required, no more, right? While they look for something else, it's almost become... And when people talk about it, and you see on social media, there is almost like a mindset of, why should I do any more that's being asked of me? Okay, mm. And as someone that you know, runs my own businesses. As far as I'm concerned, that mindset is like a cancer that can eat away at a business, okay? So you talked about the first 50 people, okay? I just want to kind of drill into that for just a moment. What criteria do you look for in those first 50? And how do you motivate them to perform and to propagate the right mindset that the company needs in order to have this hyper growth? That is the secret sauce. Exactly, Simon. That is the secret sauce of what I try to bring to every company. I believe that although we're all different, everybody has the potential to learn to adapt to a hypergrowth environment. However, we as a company, myself, in the case of the revenue organization, not necessarily all the time, have the time to be able to cater to their needs and grow them into a startup entrepreneur. So the qualities that we're looking for are either an experience in a hypergrowth company. It doesn't have to be our 
specific segments. As you alluded to in the intro, I myself have worked in different verticals, right? Different industries. And once one understands that the business fundamentals are in many different ways, right, are similar, then you're starting to look for the values of a human being. And it can manifest in many different ways, right? A salesperson who worked for a SaaS company, not necessarily cyber, but throughout his or her career, they're able to outperform not only from a quota standpoint, from an ability to provide new projects, new solutions, new dimensions on top of their role to be able to create a disruption within the organization. And it connects me to the why or how that you mentioned. How do you keep people motivated? The answer for that is you keep on explaining the why. Why is there an impact or how important the impact is to what extent the company is actually transforming, in our case, businesses around the world. And once you connect that person to the why and he or she actually internalize that, then you never need as a leader need to be in a position that you can actually tell them, okay, come on Friday, do this. Then it becomes a little bit more easy. Once you build an environment that you allow every person to understand that their light, their innovation, their own unique vision and color is welcomed and opinion is welcome in Permanent 81, which is what we do. And I've tried to do it in all my previous companies and they can bring their initiatives and we can discuss them. There's a very famous line by Bob Dylan. It goes, know your song well before you start and sing it. We'll debate those ideas. We'll actually, they will need to convince us. They will need to make sure that those ideas will have a positive incremental value to the system, to the machine that we build, to the go-to marketplace that we have. But once they do, it's not only being adopted, it's being celebrated. And for employees, regardless to age, regardless to gender, regardless to their origin, that notion, that concept, that realization that they can come in and make an impact, a serious impact, not only to their personal financial situation, but really to thousands and thousands of businesses and within their peers and colleagues, you see employees that come in to work, right? And have this beautiful bright eyes and they're investing their precious minds into making it better. And this is something that personally I've tried to adopt and create an environment in every different companies that I've managed and worked in the past, because this is what makes the difference between companies that are mediocre and companies that excel and create special and unique change in the world. Hypergrowth doesn't only come because there is the perfect product. Hypergrowth doesn't only come because there is a lot of money invested in the company. It starts with people that understand that their actions can actually transform and impact and make a dent in the universe. And as for me, in different segments, I've tried to work for companies that founders had a vision that can create a disruption. And the only small things that I need to do is take that vision and find ways, whatever way possible, with whatever funds that we have at that point to actually execute them. It's interesting, isn't it? But people talk about go-to-market strategy, but it sounds from what you've said that go-to-market execution is really where the rubber meets the road. And that fundamentally is down to the people that you have executing it. A company is just a collection of people. Very true, Simon. And I would add one thing to what I said earlier. It is very important, and maybe it's the engineering in me, is to create a measurement process. And in that, they mention specifically in Perimeter 81, we build an extremely impressive, we call it the 34 different SaaS applications that we incorporate into our go-to-market to be able to measure not only if one employee was better than a different employee, but to be able to measure and understand what we can do to make 
make every one of our employees improve better. And we create this feedback loop, again, not only to the revenue organization as a whole, right? The SDRs, the account executive, the account managers, the channel partner manager, the customer support or customer success, but to create that feedback loop all the way to the R&D and to create that closed system that in real time can let us know because we're flying very fast, if you remember my analogy from earlier on. And we need a dashboard that will let us know in real time the truth about our business, right? Not only the road that we're on, not only the velocity, not only the acceleration, but some derivatives and some connecting points that will actually provide us insight to take it to the next step. So when we talk about execution, which is you know a word that many people can interpret in many different ways, we're talking about a very coherent, cohesive way to be able to measure improvements over time, all the way from the individual to the department to the organization, and then show it to the story. That way of execution, by the way, doesn't only apply to the revenue. The same thing applies to the product team, the R&D, the marketing studio, and every dimension, in this case, in the case of Perimeter, but it was true for other companies as well. Very important. So I want to change gears just slightly, okay? We talked earlier, and you mentioned about your own background being an Air Force kid, that you spent a lot of your formative years in different parts of the world. And now your career is very much about working with diverse teams and really having global diversity and the responsibility to merge and meld teams into what you just referred to as a cohesive ecosystem, really, okay? So my question is, what do you think the strategies that you have developed to be able to get not just an Israeli company to sell in North America, but to have success, whether it's through different groups in different countries working together, or the ability to take technology from one country and being able to share it with the world? Brilliant question. As I mentioned earlier, I was lucky not only to be educated and, you know, start my youth by reading Pushkin and Tolstoyevsky and Tolstoy and Goethe and Shakespeare and Fitzgerald and, you know, watching Seinfeld Woody and having a very eclectic origin of influences. I was lucky to also travel and live in many different countries. So from a very early age, I've ingrained in my soul the importance of diversity, not because it was a beautiful tagline that somebody wrote, right? And in in Perm 81 or in other companies, we're able to bring people that obviously could take that brilliance of that the R&D engineers were able to create and personalize them into that specific market. And sometimes I would say even most of the time, the ability to take very complex concepts, but tailor them into the specific market is key. Sometimes a word that you think coming from being an Israeli American, right? Or coming from a Western society, one may think that one word can make sense for you, but in a different country, it can mean a totally different meaning, right? So bringing those people that actually breathe and live the culture, the industry, the segment of that specific country, create a synergistic multiplier. Now, first part of your question is how do you create that cohesive or coherent Northern star or a very diverse team, not creating the Tower of Babylon, right? And that requires a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. Now, I know with Corona, we're doing many things via Zoom, and that kind Kind of replaced a personal touch. But on a personal level, I've always tried and still do try to fly and meet in person and have that one-on-one -on -one time look in a person's eyes and hear and listen to what is said and what's the underlying meaning of the messages they're trying to tell us in a specific market. If you do that and you couple it with a very specific and clear North and Star, whether it's error or revenue or number of customers or specific targets that are very crystal clear for the core 
quarter, for the month, for the year, for the week, whatever the cadence may be. And you're actually following up on a personal level and you're creating that personal attention with that employee or that manager or that market, you're creating the real change. When you go to those different countries, the one thing you should never stop doing is actually meeting the customers and all the stakeholder, if you're selling through distributors or partners, and actually hear and listen to them as well, not only through a third party. And as it pertains to the employees themselves, it's a small trick that I always used to do is buy or come carrying gifts. In my case, bring a lot of books that can actually better explain in a much more elegant way part of the vision and the values that you believe that different managers and different directors from different countries should have. Specifically, I can add, there is something very, very unique and beautiful about the synergy between Israel and the US. There are many different numbers that can actually prove that point, but that synergy between Israeli innovation and not only the market itself, but the beautiful American scalability and that ability to be a bridge for myself between those two cultures and other cultures as well, but specifically between those two is what I'm personally proud of the most. But I think, obviously, the world is large and there's so many amazing culture, right? And I was lucky to both sell companies or sell to many countries around the world, as well as to take companies and sell them to Chinese private equity and other different countries as well. I would say that specifically in Permanent One, for example, we have offices in Tel Aviv, Eastern Europe, New York, NLA, and crowd of engineers, salespeople, marketing managers that came from you know France or from Italy or from Latin America. Because I truly believe that that different perspective in the board meetings, right, in the boardrooms, in those conversations and conferences, and that ability to allow that specific angle that is unique to that person coming in from a different market is one of the key components for us to ever stretch our ability to grow, develop, to evolve, and to create that impact proposition that would actually fit that need. So I'm not only looking for, as I mentioned earlier, people with a hyper growth experience and people that have the ability to be agile as companies scale and grow. I'm looking for people that are not shy to lean in and they're not shy to fight for their opinion and they can actually bring a different perspective to make us all better. One of the most important role of a CRO is not only to measure if David was better than Johnny on a given month or a quarter, is to be able to make sure that we, he or she, right, improves the machine as a whole and improve the processes as a whole to be able to make all of them in a year time, in a quarter time, 2x, 3x better, to make the process be more seamless, to connect different dots between different departments, and more importantly, to be able to listen not only to their close one and look at their numbers and give them the accolades, but listen to the lessons that are being learned from close loss, that are being learned from the deals that we didn't win, that are being learned from a new person coming in from a new country, understanding the market very well, and is able to take it to the next level. I would add one more thing as it pertains to hiring the right people. When I was I think eight years old, I remember first taking my first lessons in English, right? I had an English teacher back in one of those Air Force bases that I grew up in that taught me that following sentence. She used to say, birds of a feather flux together. Yeah, and I understood that in later years. A few months ago, we raised our Series C and one of our investors, I'm not name who, told me that the main reason, one of the main reasons that that company decides to invest in us is because they understand that founders or people that are 
leading the growth of an organization will usually hire people that are similar to them or they'll flock together. Now, this is a double-edged sword because I try and I tried all throughout my career to be able to bring a diverse crowd that will be able to challenge the status quo without changing or challenging the vision that much. You need to think very hard of what your vision is and what the North and Star, that doesn't change quite often. How to get there is the interesting challenge that we have. I'm usually giving the following metaphor to my teams in my team meeting. Running a startup is like back in my service days. It's like carrying a stretcher at night, right? And you have your whole team and obviously you yourself carrying a stretcher that gets heavy and heavy as the night lingers on. And you're walking at the dead night. And obviously, if you're lucky, there is the light of the stars or the moon. And the terrain, your job as a CRO is to be able to walk through the terrain and to do it in a way that will be safe for the rest of the team. But as you continue to scale, the weight becomes heavier and heavier for each one of the employees. So sometimes you need to lean in, you need to carry it yourself. But more importantly, you want to be able to build an environment that the rest of the team members know and feel they have another person they can trust because they know the team members, managers, directors, VP know who is carrying the stretcher. And as you build a startup, you need both the pace to increase the weight is getting harder. So you need people that have resilience. And that's the last point when it comes to bringing the right amount of people. Resilience in startups is key because in many ways it's a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster because you have the euphoria of winning a large deal. It's a roller coaster because inevitably you will have a bad month or on the individual level, a bad quarter. Your ability to actually create an internal resilience to keep on fighting, to keep on growing, to keep on building your future success over time is what makes a difference. And people that have worked successfully in different startups are people that have a high resilient tolerance because there's going to be a lot of pressure. There's going to be a pressure from your manager to perform sometimes without knowing you have a perfect pipeline. We're talking about sales. There's going to be a pressure for us to actually deliver the product in a very short period of time without having the perfect mechanism and time frame to execute that. There's going to be a pressure to be able to deliver 30 different meetings or opportunities if you're an SDR. Those are things that requires that resilience mindset to be able to take the extra step forward. And that is something that we are truly looking for as we hire more and more professionals to join that journey. But once you're able to bring those people and you're able to focus on that, why you can create a lot of impact within the organization. Yeah, I love that. That's fantastic. So you talked about a dashboard earlier. And the analogy you were giving was of flying a plane and also needing to have an awareness globally of what's going on, right? So what advice would you give to a company that's just starting out and they're putting putting their dashboard together in terms of what specific metrics, what data do they need to be tracking and comparing? Very important question. First, when I answer this question, the person who leads in Perm 81, our organization, our BI team and the dashboard is one of our founders, Sagigi Dali, who's currently the chief growth officer of the company as well. And he, as well as obviously all of us together, but mainly the BI team was able to create an internal dashboard. We call it Jarvis right, from Ironman to be able right. to aggregate that those informations from those 34 different SaaS and others right, that we use in our go 
go-to-market, have that coherent perspective towards the business, right? Whether it's the revenue organization or the marketing organization, whether it's the CS or the R&D, whatever department you have, you can actually build a dashboard as it pertains to the revenue organization. It also depends on the size or on the timing of the company. But I would be relentlessly focusing on building both of a top-down and a bottom-up approach when it comes to the KPIs to allow each and every one from the individual level to know her or his targets right, on a weekly, on a monthly, on a quarterly, on an annual basis, as well as the department and obviously the organization as a whole. And the reason it has to come from both direction, right, top-down and bottom-up, is because you want to be able to create alignment between that North and Star goals and the actual execution themselves. Now, for salespeople, if they're doing a SaaS, if there is a SaaS solution, right, obviously the ROR, the number of deals that they're closing, whether or not it comes from inbound or outbound. But we got to a level at Permit 81 that we can check the activity that a person has for a specific opportunity over time connected to any different angle that we want to see. The question is, or the challenge is, is to find ways not to get a lot of white noise. Part of our challenges as revenue leaders is to be able to allow the team to focus on that cohesive and coherent reports. We are using, in our case, Salesforce to be able to show each one of the directors their team results over time. But we also have Jarvis and Looker, in our case, to be able to measure all the way from the close one to the time, the amount of a pipeline and opportunity, to the amount of meetings that they're having, and so on and so forth. But the reason that I'm stressing the point that it's very important to clean any white noise because we're able to also build, in our case, a permitted one, more than 97 different dashboards that can analyze to a very granular level each dimensions, right, of the business. Now, if I'll go back to previous companies, right, that I was lucky to manage as well, the most important thing is to be able to have that targets and the gaps, right, between where we are and where the targets are in order written in a very coherent way. Again, both on the individual, on the department and the company as a company. You know, I'm here in New York for the last almost decade. And as you go to the subway, the announcer always say, mind the gap, right? So mining the gap is a very important tool for all of us to understand both from a product proposition as well as the revenue itself. Now, more importantly than that is the ability for us as leaders to be able to remind everyone of those targets, remind everyone of those gaps that need to be filled. Putting just a target on whatever software you may have is irrelevant if you don't have the level of fanatic obsession in actually finding a way to get it done. And finding a way to get it done is key if you want to be able to execute hyper growth. And what I've found is that those brilliant managers, in my case, right, revenue managers that I was able to work with and manage in the past, they found a way. As long as they saw the coherent targets, that North and Star, they deeply understood the why, why we're doing what we're doing. What is the impact of what we do? They felt a connection to the vision that was laid down and founded by the founders. And they knew, and we created, obviously, a 
competitive environment that allow them to, again, positive competition is always key, right? Competitive environment that allows them not only to win the cherries or the incentive, but to actually create something special. That is the bedrock and the fundamental of every triple digit hyper growth startup that I was part of. And obviously, it doesn't only rely on them. From the side of the leader, the ability to appreciate on a personal level, right? Not only provide the accolades or the bonus, but to go and appreciate that person by very specific gift that is tailored to them, right? In that specific time and create that environment that breeds excellence, that celebrates those wins, that is able to mitigate any kind of jealous or negative environment that there might be, right? And that pushes forward together is key for any success of a company. Obviously, all of it is under the assumption that the brilliant R&D engineers or the brilliant people that actually build the software or the devices are producing that world-class software or world-class platform or world-class device to create that impact. And this is, I think, the most important thing because one key element of actually succeeding in scaling, selling, in the ability to grow or create hyper growth should not rely on only the go-to-market as good as it may be. The heart of it is the brilliance of the R&D, the product team, the ability to actually create that ongoing disruption in the market, whatever the market may be. In Perimeter 81 case, we have a very talented R&D team. More than half of our employees are R&D engineers, and they're working tirelessly to be able to create that disruption in our case, in the SASE market, right? Secured access service edge. And the ability to fight against companies that are public and well-established and maybe better financed is what makes us unique. Right. We, the people in the revenue, can just do our share and take that next step and try harder and push harder to get right. stuff done. Absolutely. Great stuff. So we've talked a lot about go-to-market. We've talked about scaling. We've talked about global diversity and now about data and how that data kind of feeds back into driving the company forward. But if you looked at it from like a helicopter perspective, what top three tips would you give to somebody that's looking to establish and scale an organization? The top three dimensions that I would recommend, again, an executive that is looking to scale is to understand and align first their mission with their board, with their investors, understanding the why of that scale and aligning that vision, that North and Star that I've managed earlier on, that I spoke of earlier on is key. That ability to understand why we're doing what we're doing and that alignment with all the, you know, shareholders or stakeholders, but in this case, the board members, right? And upper management is key. That's one component. The second is dive really deep into the product market fit in different segments and in industry. Find the real unique selling point and find where you can actually find gold. Look for where you can actually find gold. Focus on that, not only from a research-based Gartner or Forrester or any research company standpoint. Search for it with the data that you have in the organization and find Find that niche that you can be disruptive in. Third is bring the people, the right people that can actually execute that vision, that can actually fit that go-to market that is correlating to that product market fit that we spoke earlier of, and allow them to be able to bring their own light into the table. Delegate a lot, trust in them, but find a way to measure and to compare only. Comparisons between individuals are a very low form of management. The ability 
ability is to create that reciprocity loop all the way to your R&D or your product team to continue and improve the product market fit over time and to continue and align that. Now, each one of those dimensions are ever growing and ever changing. None of them stays constant. So especially as you create scale or hyperscale, make sure that you think and rethink and analyze those stories, the product market fit, and the people that you bring that may fit a certain stage of the company, but may not fit other stages. Right. This is key. That's great. Okay. Alhad, what's next for you and for Perimeter 81? So at Perimeter, obviously, we're growing in a massive scale right now. We have 20 new positions that are open as of today. So if you're listening to that and you actually want to join a company, revolutionizes secure network as a service, and want to be a part of that special journey, you're more than welcome to look at our website and find if there is a position that is suited for you. We also have many webinars and conferences that we plan to attend in the next few weeks and months. Please go to Perimeter. 31 slash events and follow up. And if you want to meet us in person, we'll be more than happy to accommodate. What's next for Perimeter from a business standpoint is a continuation of our hyper growth. We've seen that even in the current environment do not carb our hyper growth story. And we are on a way to continue and getting towards 100 million ARR in the next couple of years. And hopefully we'll continue to evolve, change and learn. The learning period never stops. Doesn't matter how old you are. And continuation and understanding that we're all students, right? And we can always evolve and grow is key. The modesty to understand that as well. And obviously the ability to remember that every day is key for the continuation of our success. And we're very excited for the future ahead. Good stuff. And every day is a school day, isn't it? Every day is a school day. Absolutely. Oh, if people wanted to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way to do that? So feel free. My email is ohad at perimeter81.com. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, Ohad Mandelbaum, or any other ways that you can think if you happen to be in New York and you want to come to our office. The address is on the website. So come hang out. Come hang out. <laughs> But seriously, I would love to be able to have conversations as I have done in the past with revenue leaders in order to help share some of the tips, some of the small details that are actually creating those hyper growth. It's something that I personally am very passionate about, treating the go-to market as if it was a product. And I was lucky, as you alluded to in the intro, to have been doing it for a few years now in many different segments and our ability to continue and perfect it, but understand that it's a never-ending process as well is one of my biggest passions and if anybody wants to share their opinion then please reach out that's great i'll make sure there are links to perimeter 81's website your linkedin etc in the show notes below oh have this has been such an illuminating conversation i've learned so much and like i said before i could listen to you for hours and i'm just so grateful that you've given us your time today so oh mandelman thank you so much for coming to the conference room today thank you very much simon my pleasure being with you Coming up next week on The Conference Room, I'll be talking to product and marketing expert and former product marketing leader of Nintendo, Karen Mendoza. Articulate your vision, right? And have a crystal clear vision of where you want to take that product. Again, we talked a lot today about honoring the franchise character, making sure that it's in line with kind of the true to form for that brand. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. 
and make sure you visit our website, theconferenceroompodcast.com, to see all the other episodes and to get access to the show notes and resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your network, or better still, go on to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other podcast platform and leave us a five-star review. It'll only take you a moment, but it'll mean the world to us. And please don't hesitate to tell us which topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. To get in touch, drop us a line in the comments section or send us a message on social media. Just search for The Conference Room Podcast or me, Simon Lader, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or TikTok. I'm always open to a conversation. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you'll be alerted when a new episode goes live every week. Thanks so much for listening to The Conference Room and until next time, keep talking.